Good morning uh, to Summit Church. Uh, as you're coming in, grabbing seats, there's plenty of seats. Just kind of find them. If you are on an edge and there's seats uh, beside you on the inside of rows, you can move over. That's fine. Um, we're just going to talk real briefly about the norovirus that came from Australia that has us all hugging the toilets. Has anyone experienced that in the last week or so? Anyone been on the floor this week? Um, it hit our family hard. Uh, we had Wednesday was my day to go through the trials, and then Friday was my wife's day to go through them, and we ended up in the ER with her. She was had it bad. Um, so that, it's a nasty one, so don't shake anyone's hand today. Don't kiss anyone you don't love a lot. Um, just avoid some of those normal contacting things that you might have while you're here at the church. Um, so we don't want you throwing up. Um, as, as we go, I just want to give you kind of the heads up. Here's where we're heading in the next week or so. We are finally going to conclude Mark chapter 12. Now, that does not mean we're done with Mark. We're going to go all the way through the end. We are entering into Mark chapter 13. If you've read ahead, you're, you're one of those people that needs to know where we're going. If you read it, you were like, this is some weird stuff. And yes, there's some weird things in Mark chapter 13. We are going to cover them uh, in the next couple weeks we're going to cover them not briefly as in we're going to just skim over them, but we're going to cover them briefly as in it will not take us 12 weeks to get through Mark 13. We're going to go quickly through it, make sure that we see what we need to see, make sure that we talk about what we need to talk about, and get our hearts completely prepared for what will come in the end. We're not going to get bogged down in a lot of doctrine and a lot of stuff that really uh, does bog down people. So that's where we're going in the next few weeks. But we're not done. We have the last three Verses, four verses of Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44. This passage is called the widow's offering, or some of your Bibles say the widow's mites. Um, these, this is a beautiful passage. It is a passage that refers to money, but it's not talking about money. You'll see what I'm talking about here in just a moment. As you get there in your Bibles, let's pray, and we'll see where God takes us today. Father, we do honor you. We adore you. We come and we sit in your throne room by the grace of your son, Jesus. It's there that we see ourselves for who we really are. It's in light of you that I believe we humbly and correctly worship you. I pray that in your presence and through your spirit, uh, by your word, today you would speak truth to our hearts that transforms us from the inside out, that causes us to look more like you, that causes us to desire you more, more than anything else in this world. And God, today specifically, I pray that our hearts would be fully yours. It's easy to give you part of who we are. But as a jealous God, you desire all of us. Every bit of who we are. So God, may you have that today. Through the grace of your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Mark chapter 12 Verse 41 begins this passage describing the offering system. Um, the offering system meaning this. Jesus has spent the last few hours in the inner courts. In the inner courts, only men could go in there. Only the Pharisees, you almost had to be invited into the inner courts of the temple. Jesus has finished up all of his, the questions that were asked of him. He asks then some questions of the Pharisees. And then what happens is he steps out of the inner courts into the court of women is what it's called. Basically meaning this, if you were an Israelite, you could enter into this court. So you had to be of Jewish 
heritage. You had to be a worshiper of God to enter into this outer court, but it was still roped off from any Gentiles. So Jesus is dealing with the, his people still, but it's men and women alike. There's many more people there. He steps out, but also in this court of women, there are 13 shofar boxes or shofar chests, which is our offering box. Okay, there's 13 of those set up. So I want to make sure that we have this picture first before we read this verse 41. In this relatively large area along one of the walls, there would be 13 four by eight boxes. That makes perfect sense to have an offering box of that nature because six of these 13 boxes were free will offering boxes, meaning you could put in anything you desired to give to God or to give to the service of the temple. Six of them were for anything. Then the other seven boxes were for specific offerings. There was a box that was just for gold. That was the high roller box. You know, not everyone got to throw in shekels of gold, but you had the gold box. Then right beside it, you had the box for wood. Literally, like you walk in with a branch of a sycamore tree, and you're like, here you go, God. And so imagine the frustration when you're coming in with your branch and the guy's throwing in coin after coin of gold. So, I mean, that's kind of the system. And then there was other boxes for other specific offerings. That's the picture that I want you to see. Even though it's Tuesday, you could make offerings at any point. So it was very common for the entire service that the temple was open that people would walk in and drop things into these boxes. But there's shofar boxes, shofar chests, shofars are horns. Maybe you've heard of them. Maybe you've been in churches that blow them during worship. A, a trumpet, a horn is a shofar. And what they would do is on the top of this box, they would place a large trumpet. Now, don't picture a bugle, okay? That's, picture a funnel. Picture a large funnel that they put on the top of these boxes that led down to the hole that was cut in the top of it, and they were made out of bronze or some kind of metal, and they were put there for the purpose of resounding noise. The noise that would come from someone dropping their coins in. Picture a four-foot-tall brass tube that winds its way down, and if you throw in 60 coins, literally throwing them in, that's going to bang, bang, boom, bang, and then drop into the box. It's going to be loud enough that everyone around you is going to know, well, golly, look how much that guy gave. That's where we are. Okay? Picture it. That's where we're at. Verse 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put. So if it's at this end, he sits at this end. But he sat down for the purpose of watching. And he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasuries, into one of these 13 boxes. Many rich people, notice the word rich, wealthy, affluent, same, same word we've got. Many people with coin threw in large amounts of money doesn't say place, doesn't say gave large amounts of money, it says through. That is not an accident. They literally would chunk it into the funnel so that it would make the most noise possible. I don't know if you noticed how much money I'm giving, but it's so heavy. I'm giving all of my $3,000 in pennies today. You know, just like, uh, it's taking me 30 minutes to give as much money as I'm giving. That, that, picture it. That's what's going on. Jesus watched as many rich people just threw their money in trying to make those 
horns sound as loud as possible. Now, Jesus has already spoken against this kind of giving in Matthew chapter 6, verse 2, on the Sermon on the Mount. He talks about giving for the purpose of recognition, either from God or from men. And in Matthew 6, verse 2, it says this, So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets. I don't know if you've ever wondered, if you've read that passage, why the word trumpets is there. Did people actually walk around and go, boop, 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 I'm giving now. No, they didn't. This is why the word trumpets is there, because there were horns on top of the boxes. Don't give by throwing it in there and making as much noise as you possibly can. Don't give that way as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. So, so years before this event is occurring, Jesus says to those listening on that day on the, on the mount, He's saying, don't do that. Don't do that. The only reason that men do that is to be honored by other men. Then He says, I tell you the truth. They've received their reward in full. This tells me two things. It tells me one, that if you or we or they give so that men will be impressed, he says that will happen. Men will be impressed at how much you give. But if that's the desire of your gift, if that's why you're giving, then that's your full reward. You'll get the adoration of men. But it tells me another thing. It tells me that if we give to adore God, if we give for His praise and His acclamation, if we give to honor Him and to worship Him, if we give with the right heart, not to boast before Him, but to say we live with open hands, if we do that, then it says to me that there's a reward for that as well. And I believe it's a spiritual reward. I don't think it's a mathematical equation. Like if you give this, you get this back. I don't think that's the way the Bible teaches it at all. But I believe you will be provided for. And that is reward enough for me. And I think that's what we're seeing here. On that day, there was a widow amongst those people. And Jesus is going to highlight her offering in verse 42. But a poor widow, notice that Mark did not need to put the word poor there, but he did. He says she's poor. It is to contrast the rich who had just given showingly. But it's also, I think, there, because if you remember from last week, Jesus' condemnation against the Pharisees was that they devour the estates of widows. They, they sign over the estates to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees use them to take out loans, and they basically just squander the wealth. So it is possible that this widow is poor because the Pharisees sitting there in the temple who are emptying out those boxes at the end of the night have already taken all of her material possessions, leaving her poor. But it's important to notice that she is, either way, poor. The poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. She waits in line behind these overt men who give clangingly. And she sneaks up, I believe, embarrassed. And she reaches up and she drops in two lepta. Lepta are the smallest of the Greek currency. Slang, they were called mites. The widow's mites. Some of your Bibles probably say that. 
the slang for that mites is taken from the Greek word to peel, meaning they were literally just shavings taken off of other larger coins. There was nothing smaller that you could give in Greek currency. She gave two lepta. Now, Mark says, or we translate that it's worth fractions of a penny. That's not completely true. They were similar to a penny. In, in our currency, there's nothing smaller. But they had slightly more value than that. One lepta was one-sixteenth of a denarius. And if you take some of the New Testament and you put it together, what that meant was her two leptas were worth one-sixty-fourth of a day's wage. In first century Palestine, you didn't get paid bi-weekly, you didn't get paid monthly, you, didn't, you got paid every day. At the end of the day, you got paid for the work you'd done. And so a day's wage was X, and then taking X and saying, what is a day's wage for a laborer for us? Let's say it's $120. If you work a full day, you might make $120 in our society. One sixty-fourth of that means that what she put in is equivalent in our money to about $2. Not fractions of pennies, but about $2. That's important because I want you to understand that those two lepta, those two minute coins of which there's nothing smaller to give, they equal about $2. Think of what you could do with $2. If you were asked today, just today, to live on $2, you probably could. It wouldn't be good. You wouldn't be driving anywhere. Because that's like eight miles down the road and your $2 is gone. You wouldn't be driving anywhere. You'd be walking. You could purchase some food. You could get a loaf of bread. Maybe even some peanut butter. You could eat for a couple days on $2. But just think, how far would $2 go? Because that's equivalent to what she had for that day. And that's equivalent to what she gave. So let's make sure we're understanding where she's at. Now, Jesus will go on to publicly praise this widow for her secret gift. For her embarrassed gift. Her two lepta. Verse 43 through 44. Calling his disciples over to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. That is an untrue statement. That is not true. The rich men, the rich women put in far more than she did. Far more. So Jesus cannot be talking about the amount of money. So I want you to hear this. Today we're not talking about money. Today we're not talking about money. We're talking about something else that I believe can be seen through the act of giving money. But we're not talking about money. So bring your shield down. I'm not coming after your pocketbooks today. I do not need your money. The church is good financially. We're doing just fine. We are in Mark 12. We have been in it for 14 months. This just happens to be the passage that we need to preach today. Okay? So chill out. Because if you check out, you're going to miss the heart of this, and it's so vitally important. So, Jesus says, 
she's given more than everybody else. Here's why. They gave out of their wealth. They have a ton. They gave a ton, but they have a ton. They gave out of their wealth. She, on the other hand, out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had to live on. Now, I will add all that she had to live on for that day. Okay? If she was going to eat that day, she is not going to eat anymore. She gave it all. Now, notice that Jesus calls his disciples over to make example of this woman, this poor widow. Can you imagine the disciples' joy at the end of this day, a day that has been one win after another for Jesus. He's just putting those Pharisees in their places, the Herodians, the Sadducees. He's just firing. He walks out, sits down. They're just like, yeah, that's our boy right there. And then he sees something that he wants to draw their attention to, and he says, hey, guys, come here. I want to tell you something. They're like, yep, we're going. They walk over, and he goes, did you see that woman's gift? And they're like, of course we didn't see it. Did you not hear what this dude was doing over here? And he goes, what she gave, far more than what anyone else gave, because she gave everything she had. Can you imagine how disappointed they were like, how much did she give? Man, someone looks, two pennies. Jesus, you're, you're, you're not doing your math right. This guy gave way more. Why, why did Jesus get so excited over this woman's gift? One reason. He's God. And because he's God, he can do something that none of us can do. He can see the heart. We, we can act like we can see the heart through the fruit. I, I get it. There's, there's ways that we can tell someone's heart is genuine or not. But God can truly see the heart, like truly look in and see the heart. All we can see is the amount. That's all we can see is the amount. So these disciples, they're, they're just so deflated. Two, two lepta, really? Yeah, good job. But Jesus goes, no, you don't understand. She gave everything. She gave everything. And Jesus is excited about this because he can see the heart. I'm not able to see your heart. All I can see is how much you give. Do you know why that's a problem? Because then I try to equate your heart to the amount that you give. And that's clearly not the case here. For me personally, and you just need to know this as a church, that's why I don't ever, ever see what you give, the amount. Some pastors get a printout on Monday morning, what everyone gave. I don't want that list. It'll mess me up good because I'm not God, and all I can see is the amount. And if your family gives X and this other family gives Y, and X just happens to be 10 times what Y is, that'll mess me up because I can't see the heart. I can't see what's going on. All I can see is the amount. I don't want to see the amount. I'm not God. I, I, I just want, I want to trust him. I want to trust that you're hearing him and you're doing what you're supposed to do. I don't want to see the amount because I'm not God, but Jesus is God. So he can see this woman's heart. And he loves what she's done and he is willing to admonish what she's done because she gave everything that she had. Now, hear this, please. Disclaimer. This passage is not a doctrinal passage, meaning... This is not establishing how to give, the doctrine of giving. It's not in this passage. This is an illustrative passage, which makes it far harder to apply. It makes it far harder to apply because it's purely illustrating two things, the faith in the heart of this widow. 
And that's what we need to unpack today. Her faith, meaning this, she gave everything, knowing then at the end of the day she has nothing, so in faith she must trust the provision of God to provide for her food, clothing, shelter. You can only claim that faith if you've ever been in a situation where you had no other provision. Jesus commended her faith. We, like her, want to trust in the provision of God, but we also want to trust in the provision of money. So here's how we do it. We do both and. We say, when I get about this much money in the savings account, and then when I get about this much money in the checking account, and then when I have you know, done a little bit over here in a coffee can for the rainy day, then I'm ready to step forward and go, God, I trust in your provision because we got this massive safety net behind us. We cannot say that we trust in the provision of God until we've ever been put in a circumstance where we are required to do so. And really, and I'm not, once again, this isn't about amounts. I'm not trying to get money out of you. I, I just want you to hear this. For some of you, you have no idea what that feels like because you just got so much money. And the only way you're going to be able to trust in the provision of God is to, to give some of it away. To do something audacious and just be like, all right, I've never done this, but God, here we go. I am willing to say today, I trust you. He commended her faith. He commended also her heart. Her heart was a generous one, but I don't believe that is all that God is looking for. He wants us to be generous and joyful givers. He wants that so desperately. But the reason that the heart, I think, is so important is because all throughout the New Testament, Jesus speaks to this one fact that our hearts can easily be divided, that we can love God and love money. And a lot of us want to love both at the same time. But Jesus says very, very harshly, you cannot love both God and money because you'll either serve one and hate the other or serve the other. and hate. It's, you can't do it. So the heart is so important. And what Jesus is saying is this woman obviously does not love money. She loves God so much so that she gave all of her money in an act of worship. There's really nothing more telling than that, I, I don't believe. Do you want to notice one other thing? Why did she give two coins? This fooled me this week. Why two? I think it's imperative that she gives two. Here's why. Because in our mind, we would have given one. I'll give God one, I'll keep one. I'll do this because no one is going to fault me for giving half. No one will fault me for that. Giving half is way more than I'm required in obedience to give. I'm going to give half, I'm going to keep half. There, no one would look at that and say that's wrong. She had to have two because she had to give two. Because she had to give it all. She had the opportunity to give one and keep one. She gave two. That's telling of her heart and her faith. And that's what we're trying to figure out today. How do we get this faith and how do we get this heart? Two things that I've identified will help us get this faith and get this heart. The first one is that we need to find the joy in giving. There is joy in giving for those who get to the point of living with open hands. Now, let's listen to a passage in 2 Corinthians 8, 1-4. through 4. 2 Corinthians 8, 1-4. through 4. The church in Corinth going through some awful trials. 
This is what Paul says. Now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trials, their overflowing joy, and in their extreme poverty, it welled up in them rich generosity. Now, we understand three of those four components. Let me explain. Because of the grace of God, joy will well up within you. When you understand the gospel and that you've been set free in Christ Jesus, there will be joy that wells up in you. And from that joy, tremendous generosity might be a byproduct of that. But don't forget the third step. Because of the grace of Jesus Christ, they welled up within them great joy, and then through severe trial, they gave generously. Why? Why in famine would you give? Why in poverty would you give? Why would you do those things? Well, they did. And in verse 3 it says, I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own. Now that phrase is huge because it doesn't mean that they gave by compulsion. Paul didn't come in and go, hey dude, we got to plant this church, we got to build a building, we need about three mil, can you raise, uh, alright, alright, here's, here's what's going to happen. The plate's going to go around, everybody empty their wallets, and when the plate goes around, they collect it, like, oh, don't got enough, sending them back around, come on now, don't be holding on to that stuff, put it in the plate. It wasn't done that way. They weren't asked to give, they just gave. They just gave out of the grace and the joy that abounded in their heart through extreme poverty, rich generosity welled up. In verse 4, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. I don't know what pastor in the world would not be floored by someone coming up and going, hey, I've been going through this incredible poverty and, and this incredible strife, and the, but I know the grace of God is sufficient, and I trust Him completely, so here, I'm going to give as much as I can. And in fact, you know what? I think I can give a little bit more, and I don't know what pastor wouldn't be just like, you're, what, you're doing What? You're, you're poor and you're giving beyond your means. Why would you do that? One reason. For the joy of giving. The joy of it. In the midst of trials, in the midst of junk, in the midst of life that hurts and is painful, there's something you can do. You can give and that brings joy. You know what's crazy? I've seen this 13, 14 years of ministry. You don't know what it, how, where I'm at right now. I think 14. Um, poor people give so much more and give so much more generously and they enjoy giving so much more than rich people do. Poor folks are just like, yeah, I mean, I'm poor. We can't hurt. Take, take. <laughs> I mean, I got, I got nothing anyway. Rich folks, man, not the case. They're just like, oh, fine. But don't ask again. It just pains rich people to give. Poor, poor people, for some reason, find joy in it. I think that's of God. In order to have this kind of faith and this kind of heart, specifically that kind of heart, you need to find the joy in giving. You cannot love money. If, if you do, it will never joy you to give because you'll be giving away something you love. And that's not easy to do. But you'll find joy in giving if you do not love money. Instead, you love God and you see the opportunities that present themselves for you to give. You'll find joy in it. The second thing that will help you get the faith that I think is necessary to be like this widow is you need to trust God for your provision. The widow gave all that she had for that day. 
those who give faithfully and sacrificially all share this story. I hear it, I hear it all the time. Those who give faithfully and sacrificially share this story, and the story goes something like this. I don't know how, but the math just doesn't add up. We had 10, we gave 2, we needed 10 next month, but since we gave 2, we only had 8, yet somehow 8 was enough. And then the next month, we gave 2 more, and somehow the next month, 6 was enough. And they share the exact same story. We started to give. We knew we couldn't afford to give, but we knew we were called to give, and we wanted to give with generous hearts, and then for some reason, there's always just enough. That story is the same story for every person I know that steps out on faith and gives. But it works the same way for every person. The amount doesn't matter. It doesn't work that way for the person who goes, you know, we've been talking about giving. We know we need to give. We know we need to live with open hands. We've been talking about it. We've been talking about it. We've been talking about it, but there's just never enough. Just, the business isn't there yet. The, the finances aren't there yet. The bills aren't down. There's just never enough. And, and, but when there's enough, we're going to give. I don't know if, if that's resonating with anybody, but can I tell you from the experience of hundreds of others, that cycle will not stop until you give. You cannot talk about giving and then go, all right, God, just know I intend to give as soon as there's enough. It doesn't work that way. I don't know why it doesn't work that way. But when you give first, sacrificially, generously, with the right heart, in faith, trusting that God will provide, guess what? He does. He provides. And the math doesn't work. Don't try. It's stupid math, okay? God does stupid math. It shouldn't work, but it does. And the people in this room who give faithfully go, I know, it's crazy. In my family, we give faithfully. There have been two times in my family where we've been tested in our faith in this. Both times were when we had babies. We've had two. Bryce is two and a half. Reed is four months old. So we just literally in the last few weeks have been tested for the second time in our marriage. Here's why we get tested in the provision of God. Because I'm married to a sugar mama who makes a bank load of money. And our family lives off her because mama brings home the bacon and daddy don't. Okay? So we live wonderfully, comfortably. I don't even know if those are good words, but that's what we do until we have a kid. Why? Because then she goes on unpaid maternity leave for four months. In this particular time, it's almost five months. Daddy don't bring home enough bacon to pay all the people that are wanting some of our bacon. So, what happens is, what everyone does, we start pulling out of savings. Every month, pulling out of savings. Both times where this has happened, towards the end of her maternity leave, guess what? Savings is not there anymore. So we begin to have these conversations of, I don't know if it's going to add up this month. I, I just, I don't know where it's going to come from. We are out here what I'm bringing in is not as much as has to go out here. I don't know what's going to happen. And we trust God and we give faithfully. First time, two and a half years ago, I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where like you had a baby and you got to pay for that baby. It's expensive. And so when the, when the mail shows up, you, you don't open the mail that comes from like anything that has a hospital or a doctor's name on it. You just put that to the side and go, we'll get to you when, the, when it goes red letter. <laughs> um, <laughs> For some reason, 
for some reason, I went to the mailbox. I mean, this was, this was two days. This was two years ago, but it was two days after we realized we're out. We're out. We don't have enough. Went to the mailbox. One of those letters that you don't open. For some reason, I opened it thinking it'd be another bill. It's from your OB. It's like, that's going to be a big one. <laughs> she, she takes a big chunk of this. $1,800 check from the OB. We said, that can't be right. And not being silly, people, we, we called because you don't want to go put that in the bank and then them come back and say, sorry, that was actually supposed to be a bill. So we called them and we said, what's the deal? And they go, well, uh, your account was $1,800 in the positive. So we had to refund it. No, it wasn't. I promise you, I wrote the checks. It was not $1,800 in the positive. I don't know what kind of goofy math happened, but they said, that's yours. And it was just enough. Two weeks ago, we're out. At some point, we'll learn to save more, stop having kids or something. I don't know. But, <laughs> you know, just, just a few weeks ago, we're out. Rubber meets the road. What are you going to do? Last weekend, I was in Durant, Oklahoma, speaking to about 350 youth. I preached twice and got paid more than I ever have for speaking anywhere before. Called Paige, I was like, you will not believe what this check says. And she goes, well, you won't believe this, because she went back to work a week ago. But the way that the pay scale works, she wasn't going to get paid until like the end of February. And we needed it before then. She goes, the HR person called, and for some reason, it wasn't supposed to be this way, but it fast-tracked, and I'll get a check on the 31st of January. Now you're going, well, okay, like what, you worked and money came in. Do you not get it? God doesn't put Rolls Royces in our driveway. The least not, that's not how it works for me. Like the Tyson family does not get blessed that way. You know what happens, though, because we give faithfully? There's always just enough. Just enough. The math doesn't work. And it had been real easy for these people in Corinth. It had been real easy for us to just say, this month we're not giving because there ain't nothing there to give. But we did it anyway. And the math doesn't work. But God is faithful. He doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. And He wants you to believe that He will provide. So much so that this is one instance in Scripture where He actually allows us to test Him. It says in Scripture, do not test the Lord God Almighty. Don't test Him. And then in Malachi chapter 3, what does it say? Test me when it comes to giving. You bring in what you're supposed to give. You give what you're supposed to give. You do that, and you test me in it. And I, here's exactly what it says. I will open up the floodgates of heaven, and I'll pour out so much blessing on you, you won't even know what hits you. He says, test me in it. You don't believe it? Test it. You know what's interesting? There are churches that will, like, guarantee your tithe. You give for 90 days, and if it don't work out for you financially, we'll give it back to you. We'll just keep it. We'll give it back to you. That's wrong. That's wrong because there's no faith in that. There's no faith in that. So God doesn't guarantee that he's going to give it all back to you, but he says this, test me in it, and I bet you, bet you, I bet you my blessing that when you give faithfully, there will always be enough.
Test me in it. I don't need to guarantee your money because God already has. He says, test me in it. But just so you hear this again, I'm not trying to get your money. So much so that we sat in a room as a staff on Monday and we left that meeting on Monday believing that we weren't going to take an offering today. Weren't going to allow you to give. We're just going to put, the, put them away and be like, don't you dare give because we don't want this to be about money. Then on Wednesday, God said, you're a moron. <laughs> and I said, yes, sir, I know. <laughs> you're going to teach this and then you're going to tell them don't give to prove some point? No, I, I don't care how much you give because God doesn't care how much you give. He only cares about your heart. That's all he cares about. But this money issue is such a big deal because, because money is our idol. Money is our God. And God cannot divide his attention between himself and money. We must worship him fully. We must love him fully. And the only way that we can say that with all of our heart is to look at this money and be like, I don't need it, I don't want it, you take it. So it's not about the amount, it's about the heart. As Nick comes back up here, let me ask you just a few questions. First one, do you trust God enough to give? Do you trust God enough to give? I'm talking to the person who's never given. I'm talking to the person who hears this and shuts down and is like, you're just coming after my money. No, it's your heart, dude. It's your heart. God wants your heart. Do you trust him enough to give? Second question, are you generous or are you stingy in your giving? Meaning this, if you see a need, are you just like, yeah, here, go. That, this is not mine, take it. That's generosity. Or if you see a need, are you just like, well, here's maybe some help. But I've got needs too. Are you opportunistic or are you fearful? When you hear stuff like this, do you jump on the opportunity to do something radical and faith-filling? Or do you go, yeah, I'm going to think about this one for a while. Let me wrestle for about six more years. And then we'll figure out where we're at. Do you love to give? Or do you give under compulsion because you feel like you have to? Let me just say this. To those of you in this room who give faithfully, thank you. But if you give it reluctantly or under compulsion, and you're just like, oh, I can't believe I just did this. Please stop. Please stop giving. Stop it. That is not honor God. Just, just quit until your heart's right. It's all about your heart. It's all about your heart. It has nothing to do with money. It has to do with faith. It has to do with the love of God over the love of money. Faith and your worship of Him are the things that really matter to God. So today as we respond, let's respond in a way that God desires with our hearts. Now, it, it may require you 
giving money, but you're doing so because you're responding with your heart. And then just, just so you do not think that I did this perfect little twist and we're trying to fill up the bank account here at Summit Church, if you feel for some reason that this has been a ploy to get your money to this church, but you know in your heart that God's telling you to do something, then you write the check to somewhere else and we'll give it to them. Write the check to City Rescue Mission. We'll get it to them. Write the check to Crisis Pregnancy Center. We'll, we'll make sure they get the money. Write, write the check to Tri-City Hope Center. We will get, if, if you, I mean, we got to talk, but if you, if that's where you're at and that's what's stopping you, then give it somewhere else. Just respond with your heart. Respond in faith. Maybe for the first time ever. Even if the math doesn't add up, even if you're doing so out of your poverty, respond in faith. And, and when we respond, the response time is the time for you to wrestle with the word, to reflect on what's been taught and what's been said here. It's a time to remember their communion stations. It's the things with the candles on them. You can't miss them. There's communion back there. There's bread and there's a cup. And it's all in one little package. It's kind of confusing. But those emblems, those elements, they represent the body and the blood of Jesus, which is what instituted the grace that I believe starts this whole process of generous giving. So go take communion as a family and, and remember there's going to be people on either side of those tables who would love to pray with you in power. They would love to help break the bonds of idolatry and the bonds of the love of money and to give you this freedom and this generosity. They'd love to pray with you over that. They'd love to pray with you. Everyone, it seems like everyone's sick. If you're sick, let, let's unleash the power of God for healing in this place. I believe it happens. There's power in prayer, so go receive prayer. Last week was just amazing. We had so many people, more than we've ever had, go back to receive prayer, and I hope that's just the breaking of the tidal wave, the power of God being unleashed in this place. And then finally, because it's more appropriate today than most, there's, there's boxes back there to give. It's not about the money, it's about your heart, but you may need to do so as a worshipful response to God, saying, I am wholly yours. And money's not going to stop that. Whatever it is, whatever you need to do, Respond with your heart. Please respond with your heart. God, in the name of Jesus, help that be the case. May we see your faithfulness. May we respond in kind. May we be faithful. God, may we trust in your provision, in your grace, in your mercy, with joyful hearts. May we worship you, even with our offerings. God, may this all be about your glory and about your purpose about your name and your renown. God, may it be so. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand and respond to him.